So we'll read 39 through 47. That will be our text today. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, in 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Strong statement Jesus makes to them. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, but you do not believe his writings. And so how will you believe my words? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and what we're about to experience in worship and the power and authority that comes from your speaking. So we thank you for the written text, its significance, its importance, its life-giving sustenance to us um, as we feed on uh, the truth that sets us free. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're making the closing argument today in John chapter 5 that Jesus has been making. This all began early on in John chapter 5 when Jesus is at one of the festivals and he goes to a man who has been lame for 38 years and Jesus tells him to pick up his mat and walk and so immediately the man picks up his mat and walks. Uh, They find the man um, wondering why he's walking around on the Sabbath day. This is violating one of their man-made rules. It's not violating uh, one of the Ten Commandments there about the Sabbath. Um, He's been healed and he's doing what Jesus told him to do, to walk, and so he's doing that. And then they get very upset. Not only did Jesus heal which they think is working on the Sabbath. But then they also uh, are upset with Jesus because he's told the man they could actually walk and he could work on the Sabbath. And so then from that moment, as they, Jesus begins to set forth, I am equal with the Father. And because I am equal with the Father, I can do the very things that the Father does, for he and I are one. And so from verse 17 of John chapter 5, all the way to we end here today, Jesus is stating forth the case, why we ought to believe in him, but also why that belief is significant, and it's because he is God alone. And so as we finish, he will remind the people of what has already been the case in the gospel, is that people reject Jesus, and they reject life that he offers, and they continue on their own path. So all the way back in John chapter 3, Jesus I had finished speaking with Nicodemus, and he says these words, And this is the judgment, the light, who is Jesus, has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And now we come to 540, and Jesus says, Yet you refuse. I've shown you all these things as to who I am, and yet you refuse to come to me for life. And so he has given them enough testimony. He has, he has given them enough witnesses as to why they should believe. And as I've said in these weeks, and you may be uh, new this morning, um, I believe John chapter 5 is one of the most significant sections ever written uh, in the history of the world. And all of these things, if you haven't been with us, um, I'm, I'm a box guy, at least in the last couple of months, I'm a box guy. These are all the things that come out of John chapter 5 that Jesus has been proclaiming and saying, this is why you should believe in me. I am these things. The Father and I are equal, plus he has testimony. The Father gave testimony. John the Baptist gave testimony. The Scripture gives testimony as to who he is. And today we will see that Moses, um, the most prolific writer, significant writer of the Old Testament, uh, gives uh, lots of credence and significance to Jesus as well. And so... What's important for us to see is that um, this closing argument Jesus makes will be from Moses himself. So let's look at the text. Here's our first point this morning, and it's this. It's scriptures must lead us to Jesus. This is where we finished a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to start here again. 
Now, the religious leaders were incredibly model students. They were deeply learned in the Bible. They spent a lot of time. Uh, in many ways, they did want to know the truth. They studied it. They talked about it. And as far as knowledge went, their heads and their lives were full of Scripture. There were two things that they were not void of. And I would say today the things that they had at their disposal are the very same things that you and I have today as well. And here's the first thing. They did not suffer from a lack of evidence. They had evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence that everything that Yahweh said, everything that the writers wrote, everything that they experienced, God's working among these people in the Old Testament was enough evidence for the people in the New Testament to believe when Jesus came. So they had enough scriptural evidence to be able to believe. Not only did they have the scriptural evidence from Moses and David and all of the other prophets' writings, but they also had just the testimony that had been passed down through the generations of the stories of what God had done in families. We do that as well. We tell these stories of how God had worked in our great-grandparents and and how this happened. And and you you begin to see this handiwork of God and how God um, works in the lives of family and people. And so the religious leaders did not, and, and the Jews as well, did not lack evidence. Now watch this. The point of the scriptures must lead us to Jesus because Jesus is the point of the scriptures. So they've studied, they've studied, they've studied for a long, long time. And now the one who's the point of the scriptures is standing right in front of them and they don't recognize him. And the reason they don't recognize him, we'll talk more about that here in a moment, but the reason they don't recognize him is that their heart was, was grounded in just knowing facts and things, but not really grounded in living out that faith. And so now the one who's the fulfillment of all the things that they know is standing before him, and they don't know who he is. And they are, as Jesus is there 2,000 years ago at this time of our text, um, they are under the oppression of Rome. It is a strong, oppressive hand. And a group of people should have just been on their face all the time, crying out to Yahweh to bring rescue and to awaken the people again to walk in obedience. That was always their problem, was not following and walking in obedience. So the first thing I just want to say to us this morning is the Scriptures must lead us to Jesus, is that, listen, you and I lack no evidence to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. I mean, think about our lives. How many Bibles do you have at your home? How many translations do you have on your phone? Our pads, our computers, our, you know, our tablets, and all of these things. We have so much access to the truth. As a matter of fact, over the last 2,000 years, and really particularly over the last several hundred years, there has been attack after attack after attack on the Scripture, and it hasn't taken away from the Scripture. The Scripture stands on its own in spite of all the attacks. We have enough this morning for everybody in this room this morning to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so I'm just participating in what's been going on for the last 2,000 years with the New Testament church. People have been proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. He's the hope of the world. Come to a relationship with Him. And so I'm joining in that voice of many, many people, millions of people over the last couple thousand years to this, to know that to say to you and I, there is enough evidence. So if you leave today and you don't believe it, it's not my fault, it is your issue. There's enough evidence in what I'm going to say today for you and I to believe. Second thing that we don't lack and they don't lack, they didn't lack as well, is they did not lack knowledge. They had knowledge and knowledge and knowledge and knowledge. The rabbis of the day were fantastic students of the scripture as they memorized huge sections of the Hebrew text. The scribes of the day were incredibly meticulous as they copied the, the written text and copied and copied it, for which you and I ought to be very thankful for, that they painstakingly copied the Scripture in the way that they did. And so I'm greatly grateful. But here's the issue with the religious leaders. As we kind of get down to the heart of the matter, and the Scriptures must lead us to Jesus. They had knowledge here. They had nothing here. And you can be in this room today, and you can have an ability to be able to stand up right here and spout out the stories. 
But if, if it never gets here, then we just have a bunch of facts that, don't, that, that ultimately don't change our lives. And I want to plead with us today that if you are here today and you know the stories and you're like, yeah, God, there's that guy up there getting loud again and he says the same things over and over and I'm just going to say them over and over again today. And here's the thing. I am pleading with you today. Will you listen to the heart of God today calling you and I to come to life in the Son? And to not leave here today rejecting that. Why did they reject with all this knowledge? With all the evidence, with all the knowledge that they had, why did they reject? And I think the biggest reason they rejected was spiritual pride. Their pride was so, so big. Their pride was grounded in, watch, learning the truth, not walking in the truth. And if they had walked, when they, walked when, they had, when they had learned the truth in their past and walked in the truth, you know what God did? God blessed the nation. The nation thrived. The nation had trouble when they knew the truth and didn't walk in it. And so for us, it's the same today. Have you looked at the United States of America and what's happened over the last five months? A lot of this was already here, a part of our country. This Shut down this stuff has uncovered, I believe, what was there, and it's manifested itself in a greater way. And the issue is this we have rejected the law of God. We have rejected the truth of God. And when you do that, guess what you get? You get lawlessness. You get rampant anger. You get destruction. You get um, incredible confusion and, and lostness. And, and, and this morning, Christ in the room, and the Spirit in the room, and the Father in the room is saying this, Come to my Son. My Son is the hope of the world. And, and this spiritual pride will keep you and I from coming to the Son. And the religious leaders, they were great at their spiritual pride. In John chapter 9, Jesus is going to heal a man who's blind. Incredible miracle, a fulfillment of a text in the Old Testament that, the, that there's going to come one who will open the eyes of the blind. What Jesus was doing is fulfilling what had been written in the Old Testament. So in John chapter 9, he heals a man who's been blind, and the, and the religious leaders are talking to the man, and listen to what they say. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, speaking about Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. And the blind man looks at the religious leaders and he says this. Are you kidding me? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. And a little bit later, just a few verses later, they will say to the blind man this. They answered him. You are born in utter sin. And you would teach us. There is a danger in our lives when we get to a place where we think we have mastered this. I'm young at heart. My body's a different story. And I'm finding out at my, have a birthday this month. You can talk to me later. I'll tell you what the day is. You can bring me a present. I'm finding out at my age now that I just don't really know that much. Y'all been walking with the Lord for a long time? Don't you get to that place where it's like the depth of the majesty and the glory of God is so grand, it is so big, that we will never exhaust the majesty of His nature. And there should never be a point where we say, well, I got that down, because there only needs to be one afternoon where what we have down we just forget and we turn away from and so that's why it's important for us to humble ourselves before the lord because spiritual arrogance is going to kill us so jesus tells them the scripture's point is me I'm the, I'm the fullness of the revelation of the Old Testament text, and here I am standing before you, and you are rejecting me. Now let's begin to, to unpack this a little bit further. Let's look at the second thing. Look at verse 41. So if you, if you read the Scriptures and you don't find Jesus in the Scriptures, I'll just say this, you're reading the Scriptures wrong because He's the point of Scripture. 
So he's the fulfillment of the scripture in Jesus. And so here's what Jesus says, secondly. This is the second point this morning. Jesus did not live for the applause of man. That was not his motivation. Now, verse 41, 41, he says this, I do not receive glory from people. Now, let me make sure that you and I understand this. Because somebody would say, well, isn't the point that we are to worship Jesus and give him glory? Yes. So he's, of course, that's the case. So he's obviously meaning something different here because we know that the scripture says, give glory to Christ. So what does Jesus mean? He means this, that he came to be the Messiah that the Father wanted him to be. He didn't come to be the Messiah that the people wanted him to be. Those were two different things. And so his great pleasure was, I'm not living for the motivation and the applause of man. That's our culture today. Everybody wants to be a YouTube star. Make quick money, fast money. I want to I do this. So this is our world. Applause of man. Christ came and he, he got affirmation in the applause of man. But that, that was not his motivation. His motivation was, I have come to be the Father's Messiah, not the people's Messiah. And so for Christ, he didn't wake up each morning hoping someone would applaud his sermon or applied his miracle that day his utmost concern was that everything he did pointed to the greatness of his father whom he loved and whom he deeply desired to please he was not a man pleaser jesus was a god pleaser now the religious leaders did not live that way listen to these words they'll be familiar matthew 6 5 and when you pray You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They wanted to be noticed. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Later in Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus says this, speaking of the religious leaders, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long, and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. Their faith was centered on making sure everybody else thought they were awesome, that they had, they had arrived, they had gotten to the place, but Jesus knew that their lives were self-absorbed. They were about themselves, and so he tells them that they were not living for God's glory. He says, listen, I'm not living for what you think of me. I am living for the glory of my Father. And I'll say this to us this morning, and I think it's important to say, if the applause of man becomes our motivation, we will at some point in time in our faith compromise our faith. Because we won't take a stand. We won't say something. We, we will just give in with the crowd or the group. We'll laugh at something that we shouldn't laugh at instead of just taking a stand, and it's all connected to whose glory matters most. We should live fearful of the glory and the honor of who God is. Not a hide-in-the-closet fear, but a humility that says, you are great, I am not, I am desperate for your hand to move in me. And I believe that what's the root of the motivation for the applause of man is pride, Pride is at the root of all evils and all sins, and it's one of the most miserable and destructive things that it does to us is that it convinces us that we know what's best. Have you ever been there? Where you know what's best, and you leave God out of your life, and and we live on our own, and it brings a great, great cost to our lives. So look what Jesus says here. Men, I'm not living for your applause. I've come to tell you the truth. I've come to tell you I'm the Son of God, and that I've got life I can give you. And now it's gonna, he's going to turn up the heat. Because the third thing he says, or the third thing in the text here, look at verse 42. This is going to had to have set him off. He says this, but I know that you, again, he's saying this to the religious leaders, I know that you religious leaders and all your fancy garb and hats don't have the love of God in you. Do you think that went over very well in the room? Boy, I, I, think, well, I think this set them off. And I think, boy, they're just temperature rising. The, 
have blood pressure, blood pressure cuffs back then. Boy, I mean, just, man, they medicate those people. They're about to have a problem. They're about to blow their top. Because listen to this. Jesus is telling the religious leaders who have been charged by God as the tribe from the tribe of Levi to run the religious affairs of the nation, you don't love God. And I tell you, that, that would have been a startling thing for them to hear. But let's look at what he says. So they gave all of their energy to look proper, and, but they never dealt with their heart. They think that they are full of a love for Yahweh, but they are not. And so Jesus in 42 says, But I know this. In my omniscience, I know this about you. I know this to be true. Nothing could ever slip by Jesus. Jesus says to them, But I know that you don't have something, and what you don't have in you is that you do not have the love of God within you. In your hearts, Jesus said, you do not love God. It is not there even if you say it is, even if you pretend it is, even if you think it is. It is not there. And so Jesus says to them that you guys are so dominated by a lifeless spiritual pride that is focused on an outward conformity to your rules that you have made up and and you are standing opposed to what it really authentically means to be in a relationship with God. They had a heart issue of immense proportions. There's a truthful correlation between love and the glory that we seek. Remember these words, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, where's your heart going to be? It's going to be right where the treasure is. So guess what Jesus is telling them? Yeah, you've memorized Scripture. You've read it. You practice it. You, you do this. You, you memorize and, and all this kind of stuff. But I'm just here to tell you it's here and it's not here. And so therefore, because it's never entered your heart, you actually really don't love God. And again, it's just a startling statement that Jesus makes to them and in the bottom line, this is what Jesus is saying to them, and I think he's saying it to us today, and it's this. If you love God, then you will seek God's glory like I do. But if you don't love God, here's what you're going to do. You're going to seek glory from everybody else, and you're going to try to please everybody else. Because here's the third reality. An authentic life is an inside life. And Jesus calls them out and says, you don't have God's love inside of you. And so he nails them to the wall, in a sense, to say it's not there. What's he accusing them of breaking? Deuteronomy 6, 5. He's saying, you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You don't. That's not true of you. Why was that not true of them? And here's the biggest reason. Look at our boxes. He's been telling them, I am the revelation of God in your midst. I and the Father are one. And you're rejecting Every testimony about me, every one of them, you are rejecting. And so therefore, here's the reality. The love of God is not in you because you are rejecting the Father's love for you because He's the one who sent me to you to show you who He is and to offer you life. So people out there today in the world who read the Bible... They are the same. People in churches who read the Bible and don't have an inside life have never come to trust Jesus as their Savior. They're like these people. The love of God is not there. You see, the love of God comes when salvation happens in our lives. And He becomes to, comes to live inside of us and we are transformed by Him. And I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their study of Scripture. But his rebuke is they're reading it with the wrong motivation and coming to the wrong conclusions about things. For all of their study, all of the sound knowledge that they had did not lead them. This is striking. Listen to this. Jesus says, you know the scriptures so well and you read them, but I'm just telling you all of that knowledge did, does it, has not led you to love God more. And he calls them out for it. And I think you and I need to be called out as well today. Now I want to say this. I can't remember where I said it in the first service, but I have to be fair. If I got on to them, I got to get on to you too. 
Listen, church. It is critically important for us to be the kind of people that deeply love God. This isn't just, this isn't a faith of information. It's a faith of living out information that's true. And it is critical for us to be the kind of people to get to the place where we do that. And so, so I, I, in my heart this morning, I don't, I don't mean to offend anybody in the room this morning, but if you're offended, so be it. And here's why, so be it. Jesus this day standing in the temple didn't soften things. And that's the problem with the church today. We soften things so much so that people will like Jesus. And I just, Jesus didn't do that himself. So why should we, who aren't him, we should be like him. We're going to proclaim the greatness of his glory. That he calls out sin. That he calls out lawlessness. That he calls out any kind of rebellion. And, he, and so we're just going to call it out. But we're also going to call out this, that there is grace upon grace that is extended to broken sinners. So if you're one of those people today, like, like what we're reading about here, or you're just one of those people that for much of your life you've just rejected Jesus, I want to say to you today, God loves you with the most unbelievable love. He gave His one and only Son, and yet at the same time, He doesn't want you and I to stay where we are. He wants us to come to faith in Jesus. That needs to happen. That must take place in our lives. And so here you have religious leaders who have a lot of sound knowledge, but they don't have a love for God. Instead, you know what they loved more instead of loving God? They loved themselves more. All of that reading of the Scripture, they ended up loving themselves more. You remember what Jesus said? If you want to get life, you have to lose life. If you wanna, but if you're going to try to gain life um, and you're going to do that, then you're going to lose your life. But you lose your life, then you're going to gain life. And what the life that we gain is Jesus. And I tell you, man's glory is trash. Y'all hear me? Look around in our world today. How well is man's glory doing? And I want to call us to the hope that there is a God who's never had a beginning and He will never have an end who loves you and I and offers us life. And you know what's going on in the room right now? There are people wrestling in their minds this morning saying, I'm not going to change. I'm just going to stay right where I am doing what I'm doing. And I'm going to say this to you. You will die separated from God. When today, right now in this room, you could come to know a God who, did, who, who moved the world to send His Son so that you and I could be redeemed. It's tragic about these religious leaders, and I think it's tragic today that we have such an arrogance that we know more than God. If he said he's the only way, then what does that mean? Are there other options? No, there's not. He's the way. He's the way. It's not Jesus plus works. It's not works and then add a little Jesus. It is faith alone in Christ alone. That's where our salvation rests. And I believe one of the greatest signs that we're reading the Scripture rightly, we're responding to sermons rightly, is that it brings about a humility in our lives, never a pride. And I love when I'm sitting in this room and I'm not preaching and I'm taking a break on a Sunday and somebody else is preaching. I love hearing it. I love hearing the Word of God proclaimed. And my hope always is when I hear it, it is one where there is a humbleness, a laying down of my life before the majesty of His glory and the power of His truth that I'm willing to say, I don't have this down, God, so I need you today to do this work in me. So here's what Jesus says. An authentic life is an inside life. And He said, men, you know the Scriptures in your head but you know you have no love of God in your heart. All right, let's look at verse 43 now. 
Fourth thing is the name we embrace matters. So in verse 43, it says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you know what you're going to do? You'll receive him. So I want, I want you to notice the name you and I embrace, the name you and I cling to, hold on to, it matters deeply what we hold on to. Life Point Fellowship is not going to last forever. It may not last forever in our lifetime. And it may not, it may last 50 more years and then it gets a new name or it just doesn't exist anymore. Um, United States of America is not going to last forever. There is one name that lasts forever. There is one name that is exalted above every name and that's the name Jesus. And so that name we embrace. So watch what Jesus says here. The name we embrace matters. Jesus says, I came in my Father's name. I'm the one that the Old Testament speaks about. I'm the point of the Scriptures, of the prophets, of Moses, of Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the stuff that David wrote. I, I'm, the point, I'm the point of all of that, and I've come, the Father sent me to reveal to you, to come to me for life, and watch this. You reject the one who sent me, and yet you say you love him, but he sent me, and by your rejection of me, you are rejecting him. But you know what you'll do? And it's been your pattern all of your history. Somebody else comes along, and they have a name they've made up. And you know what you've done, Israel? You've embraced that name, and you rejected the name of God. And because you did that, you had trouble after trouble after trouble in your history. And so look what Jesus says to him. There's three things he says here in this aspect of I've come in my Father's name. He's saying this, I came in the Father's authority. He also came to reveal the, the glory of the Father. And thirdly, he came to be the Father's true Messiah, not the Messiah the people wanted. Those three things are critical in regard to the name that we embrace. He came and the Father's authority to reveal these things. He came to reveal the glory of the Father, and He came to be the Father's Messiah, not the Messiah the people wanted. The people desired a political and more military-type Messiah to free them from Rome and to usher in a time of peace. And Jesus wanted nothing to do with that kind of Messiah because it had nothing to do with the kind of Messiah the Father wanted for Him. Now, I believe this happens a lot. Some of these ideas that aren't fully truthful sometimes taste good in our mouth, but they can't free our soul. That kind of Messiah, in his words, would encourage people, maybe motivate the people, because he was a good teacher, but would never free their soul if all he wanted to be was a Messiah that freed them from the power of Rome. And yes, he came to do those three things, and he never held back in his communication to the people. He never spoke just to please the crowd. He spoke what needed to be said. And he never used the scripture to flatter his listeners, to bring them to a point of making sure that they felt good about their lives. Did I tell you earlier I loved you? I did tell you that, right? I want to tell you again I love you. But I'm not here this morning to make you feel better about your life. I'm here this morning that your life would be broken under the weight of the majesty and the glory of God. And in that, he would restore something that is way more beautiful than you and I keeping control of our own life. So the name we embrace matters. I don't know if you've heard this or not. <clears throat> well, if you haven't heard this, let me back up. I've done, I, I made a decision about a month ago to not turn my TV on. I haven't had a remote control in my hand in a month. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of miracles. Am I keeping up with what's going on in the world? Yeah, you can't, I can't hardly not keep up with what's going on in the world. But here's the deal. I, I, I don't want to hear what the world has to say all the time. I want to hear what my God has to say. Because what my God has to say lasts. It's powerful. It's freeing. It's hope. 
but one of the things you'll hear on the television, and sadly, one of the things that you will hear in the American church right now is, are you woke? Are you woke? And it has this idea of being woke to all the culture is- cultural issues, and are you in tune with those things? And I'm just here to say this morning, if you embrace that mindset, I want to lovingly say, stop. There is no being woke without Jesus Christ. There's no woke without the Son of God awakening what was dead inside of us. And once we are alive on the inside and we are woke to the gospel, the gospel addresses all of the issues that we are seeing manifested in our day in America right now. He's the hope of everything that you and I are seeing. And you will, if you follow church stuff out there, you will, you will see church after church after church using this language, woke, woke, woke. I want to be woke by the gospel. I don't want to be woke by a social issue. And I want to be woke by the gospel because when I'm woke by the gospel, then I will address poverty. I will address racism in a loving way that is biblical and that honors God. And so church, listen to me this morning. The name we embrace matters. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. He says this, I came in my Father's name, religious leaders, and you're rejecting me. But if somebody were to march in here today and they were to come in their name with some kind of new fad thinking and teaching, you would embrace them And you'd get on board with that because that's what you've done throughout your history. And church, I... Life point, hear me this morning. It is time for God's people to put down the playing of our faith. And let's be real. Let's live it. Now, I can't live this faith on my own That's part of the cross as well. It is His resurrection. It's His power in me, living in me, that enables me to be able to live this out. But we also have choices. And it's time to put down childish ways. Put the baby bottle down and let's eat meat. And let's grow up into maturity and live in our culture today that that communicates there is a hope beyond the chaos of our nation today that is strong and secure and it's Jesus Christ. Here's what happens and it's the next point. We're winding it down. When you reject Jesus, you know what you get? You get an unstable world. You get an unstable life. And that's what Jesus says in 44. Look what he says. How can you believe? The Greek means this. It's an inability to believe. Jesus says, there is an inability for you to believe when you seek glory from one another, but you don't seek the glory to honor God. And so look what he says. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And he says this. Listen, church. Listen. There is an inability, Jesus said, there is, there's no way this can happen. This can't happen. If you live your life in such a way, you operate your country in such a way that, that seeks glory from man and yet rejects the glory from the only God, you are not going to see belief. Do you hear that today? So we're all in, we're all in this, we, we, man, when are we going to get back to normal? I don't think we're getting back to normal, March 11th normal, because March 12th is when it all changed. But I think that whatever comes on the other side of this, here's what I know. Our God is sovereign over all of it. And whatever's going to be normal over here is going to be enough for God's people to know Him, and to invest in the kingdom and to make a difference in the world. There's a Tuesday coming in November. Have you heard about that? And if we don't know who wins that night, 
Again, I want to remind you, and I will remind us in the days ahead. If our hope is in a November Tuesday this fall, then we have no hope. We have no hope. But if our hope is in one who came and died and who is all of these things, then we have boundless hope. We have boundless hope regardless of what was before and what is now. You see, a world of unstable belief comes when people seek glory from one another and they do not seek the glory that comes from Christ. And the great danger of a man-centered ministry is that church members would be kept from belief when the glory of man is affirmed and sought over the glory of God. Man's glory is not what we are to seek and receive. We are to hold his a vision of him in a very high, great way, and we can never downplay the glory that comes from him. When the governing principle of our lives is pride and ambition, then the one who is worshipped more than anything else is man. And I believe that's where we are today. Here's the last point. Look at 45 through 47. Jesus says, The Scripture, therefore, becomes the greatest accuser of us. And Moses is a part of that. So he says in 45, do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you. Guess who he is? He's Moses. And on him whom you have set your hope. He placed so much hope on what Moses told you. But here's the deal, Jesus says in 46. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for Moses wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings, and so therefore, how will you believe my words. And I just want to say a couple more things here, and we're going to finish our last perspective of this testimony that comes out of John chapter 5. Watch. Jesus affirms who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses. So you and I do as well. Well, yeah, but haven't a lot of people touched them? Yeah, a lot of people have touched them. Jesus affirmed the Old Testament. Do not impugn what Jesus held valuable. And so he holds this greatly, greatly valuable. So how did Moses accuse them? Well, he accuses them by this, that Moses wrote of the Messiah who was to come. He wrote of the Messiah who was to come. And, and if, you reject, if you reject the Messiah, then here's what the thing is. You reject Moses' testimony. And they stake their life, the Jews did, on what Moses wrote. And yet... Watch, Moses wrote all kinds of things about Jesus. He's standing in front of them, and they're rejecting him. So not only are they rejecting the testimony of the Father, they're rejecting the testimony of John the Baptist. They're rejecting the testimony of Scripture. Now they're rejecting the testimony from Moses in regard to Jesus. But I want to remind you and I this morning as we finish up who he is. Moses wrote a lot of things about Jesus. And the first thing that Moses wrote about Jesus is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is what Jesus, this is what, this is what was written about Jesus. Two interesting perspectives. God speaking to Satan said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, from the woman's seed is going to come one who's going to, you're going to strike him, but he's going to crush you. So right there, already in the garden, there was a prophetic word that there's one who was going to come and crush Satan, and it would be suffering. Satan would strike, but Jesus would win. And so Moses wrote about the crushing power of Satan that would come with Jesus, and he was the first one to give us that perspective. The second thing that Moses wrote was what he experienced as well in Exodus chapter 12, and you also see this in John chapter 3. They are going to be rescued under Moses' leadership out of Egypt. And on the last night, they were told to slay a lamb and take the blood and put it on the doorpost of their house. And an angel of death would come, and if the angel of death saw the blood, it would pass over. And so Moses was the first one to tell us that the coming Messiah was going to be the Passover lamb. He was going to be the one who shed his blood to free us from our sin. 
Moses also, people complained, were hungry. They were always hungry and thirsty. So God was like, okay, you want food? He said this in Exodus, is Exodus 16. He said, every morning when you wake up, this must have been amazing. Every morning when you wake up, outside of your tent, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. There's going to be bread on the ground that you will be able to eat, and it will sustain you for that day. And when you wake up the next morning, watch this. For 40 years, these people saw the glory of God every morning that they woke up. And it was a prophetic word when you come all the way to John chapter 6 that we will enter in studying next week that Jesus, Moses said, Jesus is the bread of life. And Jesus said, he is the bread of life. Not only is he bread, he's also water. Exodus chapter 17, Moses, staff, water comes out of the rock. John chapter 7, Feast of the Tabernacles is when the Jews would come to Jerusalem. They would sleep in tents and they would remember the time when God provided water to them in the wilderness. And on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up in John 7 and said, If anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And from within him will be streams of living water. And so Moses was the first to give a prophetic word that there was one who was coming that you could drink of him and be satisfied in life, even in the midst of the trouble. So Moses wrote of Jesus being the water of life. One day the people had rebelled and God sent these snakes. You like snakes? He sent these snakes into the camp. They were poisonous snakes, venomous snakes, and they were striking the people. So God told Moses, fashion a a serpent and hold the serpent up. Watch, lift it up off the ground. And those who looked at the serpent and believed, they would be rescued from the venomous snakes. And so Moses was the first one to write about the one who would be lifted up from the ground. And if we would place our faith and trust, just like Jesus on the cross, lifted up from the ground, there would be a forgiveness of sin. And so Moses wrote about the one who would be lifted up. John told us about that as well. Remember the Remember, do you remember why Moses didn't get to go in the promised land? He took that same staff another time, and the people wanted water, and uh, he hit the rock not once, but how many times? Twice. And God said, I told you to not do that. And so Moses, watch. You don't think God gives consequences? He told Moses, you're not going to the promised land because you didn't do what I told you to do. And he hit the rock twice. Watch which is a prophetic way from the Old Testament that Jesus was just going to die once. He wasn't going to die twice. This was going to be a once-for-all death, Hebrews chapter 10. He's the rock once for all. There's this guy named Joseph. He was 17. He gets these dreams, and he tells his parents and his brothers, "Uh, one day you're going to come and bow down before me. And they didn't like it, and they were jealous, and they envied him, and they were jealous of him. And so watch his own people. See if you can see the commonality of this. So he's one who is a perfect son, loved by his father, who is rejected by his own. He's sold, falsely accused, lied about, and yet rises to the greatest place in Egypt, number two person, or the first person under Pharaoh, and eventually he becomes, Jesus does, he becomes this beautiful picture of the perfection of Joseph as he rescues God's family and his people. He is, Moses wrote of, that Jesus is the perfection of Joseph. Hang with me. Moses also wrote of Jacob's ladder. Remember the ladder that Jacob sees and angels are going up and down on this ladder between heaven and between earth. In John chapter 151, Jesus tells some people, what if you, what if you see the angels of God going up and down on me, the Son of Man? He's the fulfillment. Moses wrote that he's the ladder, he's the bridge, he's the access to the Father. And then in Genesis 49, 8 through 10, there's this word to the uh, tribes. And when he gets to Judah, 
Genesis 49.10 says, And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Guess in heaven there's this beautiful picture in Revelation 5.5 that John is weeping because no one's found worthy. And the angel says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has come, and he is worthy. And Moses was the first one to give us that picture that we see in the New Testament. Lastly, my favorite one. And I'm going to try not to get emotional here because I can get emotional here. There's a father who was really old. And he'd been promised he'd have a son. And it took a long time for that son to come. And one day God came to that father and said, I want you to take that son up to a mountain and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him. So Abraham takes his son Isaac and they leave. They get up on the mount and as Isaac's being tied down, he's like, oh, Dad, uh, where's the sacrifice? Because it kind of looks like I'm the sacrifice. What's up? And, he's, and Abraham says, yeah, the Father, he's going to provide one. He's going to provide one. And Abraham picks up that knife, you know the story, and he's about to put it into the promise, the promise one right there he is. And Abraham hears there's been a provision that's been given and watch this, this provision that's been given is not one of our sons, it's God's son. And one of the most beautiful things in the Bible, all the way back that Moses first wrote, is that there would be a father who would sacrifice his son so that you and I could have life. And so I want you to take a good look at this. Every one of these things flows out of John chapter 5. You think this is not a significant piece of Scripture. And it causes us to look at that, to say this, I go back to, there is enough evidence to believe today. So if you walk out those doors today, and you die, and you're eternally separated from God, it's not because you didn't have information. You've got the information, it's here. And I think the Spirit is calling you to Him today. And what, so what do you do? You believe. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. It's not your works, it's His work, it's who He is. This is just a minuscule version of the glory of our, of our God. The glory of Jesus. Well, we have to leave John chapter 5 next week. But we're going to have these. In case you miss them, they're going to be in the four-year wall next week. And you can go stand by them and take a picture if you want. All right. Church, listen as we close. So what are we going to do? We've learned. Are we going to live? We've learned. Are we going to live? And I think what they scream is, it's ever only Jesus. It's only Jesus. Longing more for Jesus. Let's pray.